This edition of The Standard is brought to you by the AXA Startup Angel Competition. I'm Sharma Dean Reed, founder and CEO of The Stack World, and I'm here to help you turn your business dream into reality. There are six chances to win the competition, including two top prizes of £25,000, mentoring from myself and leading UK founders, plus business insurance for a year, thanks to AXA. Go to standard.co.uk forward slash AXA Startup Angel for details on how to enter and complete your entry by the 2nd of June, 2024. Good luck. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. ES Audio. From the Evening Standard in London, this is The Leader, and I'm Mark Blunden. The United Kingdom woke on Friday to absorb the news of the death of Queen Elizabeth II after the 96-year-old monarch died peacefully at Balmoral. This is a person that lived an amazingly full life. You know, her first Prime Minister was Winston Churchill. She's travelled the world. I was outside the palace till very late, actually. And um, a lot of people had come just to have a few quiet moments there. That was our royal editor, Robert Jobson, talking to us this morning close to the palace. Mourners from around the world in their thousands are gathering at Buckingham Palace, Windsor Castle and Sandringham House in an outpouring of public emotion. We've been coming here for uh, years, 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 years. Phoenix, who did we come to lay flowers for? Oh, we. The Queen. As all the media people have said, she was sort of glue that, that held people together and I just thought she was a very strong, devoted... Sovereign. In a sort of sad way, in a time when a lot of us are sort of divided in a lot of different ways, it has brought our country together. I'm a coronation baby. Oh yes, he was born in 53, so she's been on the throne as yeah. long as you've been yeah. born. Yeah. Church bells rang out across England, Scotland, Northern Ireland and Wales, like this one in Cardiff. The King's Troop Royal Horse Artillery led a death gun salute from Hyde Park with cannon from all four corners of the UK firing a total of 96 rounds in tribute. She really was Elizabeth the Great. You know, this is a great monarch, a longest-serving, oldest monarch in history, and I think we will look back in the years to come at this golden Elizabeth, Elizabeth of age, an age where she really did shine as a monarch, but somebody who reigned over so many changes in society, not only in this country, but in the realms of the Commonwealth, and had an influence all around the world, and very much was the Queen of the world. The nation is due to be addressed by the new head of state, King Charles III. The King and Camilla, who is now Queen Consort, stayed at Balmoral on Thursday night before returning to Buckingham Palace on Friday when they were greeted by the crowds. Charles also met the new Prime Minister Liz Truss for the first time since his mother's death. It comes as members of Parliament pay tribute to Queen Elizabeth II in an all-day sitting at the House of Commons. A period of national mourning, likely to be up to 13 days, is due to be confirmed by the government ahead of the Queen's funeral, with preparations being made under a protocol codenamed Operation London Bridge. 
Now we're joined by Dr Jonathan Spangler, a senior lecturer in history at Manchester Metropolitan University. Dr Spangler, what's your view on the significance of this moment in modern British history? Certainly this is a moment that people have been anticipating for half a century, really, as to the transition was successfully made, I suppose you could say, into the modern era when many monarchies across Europe fell and the British monarchy continued after the Second World War. So the question was then going to be what followed, I think, the reign of Elizabeth II. And of course, that remains to be seen, really. But the transition so far has been, as tradition dictates, instantaneous and and smooth. Could you give us some context about the royal family's connections to Europe? Yeah, the, the connections to Europe, I think, are really fascinating and certainly worth more scrutiny. One of the great things that characterized the British monarchy in the 19th century was its its position as really the, the head or the apex of this vast European dynastic system that had been established over several centuries. And Queen Victoria was the supreme architect of this great dynastic system. There was a strong belief that blood and kinship would be enough to hold together European powers and stop them from going to war. But as we saw with World War I and World War II, it wasn't, and that that idea faded. So the post-war monarchies are much less close than they once were, um, and the British monarchy has, has moved away in some ways. So if you look at the Danes or the Norwegians or the Swedes, they're still very quite... Uh, tightly connected by blood and relationship, um, whereas the English have moved off slightly. And are there any historical parallels after the deaths of previous monarchs? I think it's a very interesting time of history now that we live in um, what some people might even call the post-media era, where it's almost a free-for-all for everyone. In previous centuries, the private lives of monarchs and monarchies were just that, very private. Since the beginning of, say, Victoria's reign, and then certainly in the in the 20th century, we've seen quite a lot more public exposure uh, of monarchs. And when a monarch then dies, there's quite a significant amount of mourning and, and certainly a lot of ceremonial that goes around a funeral, preparations for another coronation. So we saw it with Victoria. We saw it certainly with George V and George VI. I think Edward VII unfortunately got a bit of a a bum deal because he was on the throne for such a short time. What do you make of the outpouring of emotion, particularly from younger people, and how do you think the Queen will be remembered, even by those who are not particularly royalists? It's been my experience as as a foreigner, I I was born and raised in the United States, that it's interesting that even though there are quite a lot of people here who are fundamentally Republicans, nevertheless, I think it's fairly universal that everyone admires the work that's been done by Elizabeth II um, and the, the sheer tenacity and and the dedication to work values um, that Elizabeth II has shown. And so I think that kind of answers almost the first question really is that younger people have grown up in this world um, where it's just assumed that the queen is a constant in your life and now suddenly it, that isn't true. So, um, yeah, so I think it, it actually caught a lot of people off guard who weren't really expecting to be feeling quite so strong by this uh, event. Are there any specific moments in your view that defined Queen Elizabeth's reign? So certainly if people focus on the very first few years, I know that there was a lot of emphasis put on this idea of a great cultural renaissance, a second Elizabethan era that was going to attempt to 
put Britain back at the forefront of world culture in the 1950s. And it just didn't really take off the way people had hoped because of austerity and and a, a number of social and political problems that followed. But the fact, I think, that the Queen was steadfast through it um, really was then to her credit. The other then big milestone would be um, the 1960s, lots and lots of social changes. Um, and again, the royal family felt like they needed to maintain their role, which is to be traditional, um, and yet they wanted to show themselves as being a bit different. And so they had the documentary that showed them at Balmoral as being just a family. But then I suppose the the major moments um, are then where getting through the economic crisis of the 1970s and then her own dynastic crises of the 1990s. So there has been quite a lot of, of these events. Um, the end of the Cold War, you could say, was certainly a major part of the reign. And you, and in a global sense, you might say that the role the Commonwealth played in that. And the Commonwealth is pretty central, I think, to the Queen's identity. Who are the key people involved in the accession arrangements? And has it always been the same through history? There's been a very long tradition. In terms of the ceremonial um, and the history of monarchy, of how the court reacts, how the court goes into mourning, who organises funerals, and for a long, long time, since the 16th century at least, that's been the purview of the Earl Marshal. And many court offices, in fact, most court offices are not hereditary, but the Earl Marshal has been hereditary for several hundred years. And, and the Duke of Norfolk has always been the Earl Marshal. And so it's his job to step in now and, and really plan the funeral and the coronation that will then follow. Now we're joined by Sarah Richardson, Professor of British History at the University of Warwick. What do you think is the significance of this moment for Britain's constitutional monarchy? So I think that any change of monarch is a moment of anxiety for the country and it, it, it tends to set a tone and change things. Um, the monarchy in a way is all about continuity, um, but, that, but it does also encompass some change. So I think that this is a transformational moment in British history. Most of the population have grown up with the Queen um, and cannot remember a previous monarch. There are certain challenges. There have been constitutional changes in the past few years, for example, allowing the eldest child, if they're a boy or a girl, to inherit the throne. Those might seem sort of minor things, but they're quite seismic in terms of the monarchy. And there are also um, changes overseas. So in the Commonwealth, there are discussions in places like Australia about whether the Queen should be head of state. Um, we've also seen discussions in the Caribbean about moving away from the Queen as head of state. So I think that all of these things mean that the change in monarch at this particular moment will be momentous for British politics, society um, and the wider world. What will be the role of the wider royal family in this period of mourning? So I think that during this period of mourning, most of the focus will be on Charles. Tomorrow, for example, there'll be the proclamation of his accession, which is the sort of formal transfer um, where sort of leading political figures swear allegiance to the new monarch. And that's a really important moment in the transfer from one monarch to another, although he became king as soon as the queen died. Um, in the past, you will sort of realise that swearing allegiance to a new monarch is quite important because it wasn't always the case that they would be that popular. Um, in terms of uh, the protocols around the funeral itself, 
and on this period of mourning. I think the roles for the wider royal family, particularly um, the sort of senior royals, if I can put it like that, will be to be a presence, to be visible, um, to um, to to reach out, if you like, to the public. They don't particularly have a formal role, but I expect, for example, they will go to church services. There, It's expected that there'll be a service at St Giles Cathedral in Edinburgh and also one at Westminster Hall when the Queen's body is moved down to London and to Westminster Hall where she'll lie in state. It may be that certainly the male members with their military affiliations um, stand guard. That's certainly happened in the past. There isn't sort of a formal protocol rule, but I think that it's really important that the wider royal family is is visible. And I wonder even with Princess Anne, she took um, quite a sort of leading role in the funeral of her father in terms of, you know, she she sort of led the procession behind the coffin with Charles. And I wonder if she'll do something similar with her mother. Are there any specific moments in your view that defined Queen Elizabeth's reign? So I think that there are so many. I mean, you look back over the last 70 years and it's it's really um, difficult to choose, you know, defining moments. But I think if, if you're thinking about her, the monarchy as an institution itself, then things like the public broadcast she gave um, even during the war before she was queen on the radio and then obviously the Christmas messages via radio and then television i think that's the monarchy moving into a new age of sort of a new media age more broadly i think things like the uh, establishment of the commonwealth has been important um the rapid decolonization after the end of the second world war certainly changed Britain's relationship with the wider world. And the Commonwealth has been quite important as a way of keeping those links in um, a different format. And so I think the establishment of the Commonwealth is definitely important. Things like space travel and the rise of technology, no personal computers in 1953. Um, Now we have devices all over the place. Uh, Education, certainly uh, the rise of higher education, um, the role of women has changed dramatically. Certainly in the 1950s, there was still a marriage bar. So if you got married, you had to give up your job in many of the both private um, occupations, but also public ones like the teaching and the civil service to a position now where there's equal pay. We have had three female prime ministers um, and um, it's far from maybe uh, gender equality, but it certainly moved a long way uh, from the 1950s. What are your thoughts on how King Charles's style and priorities could differ from Queen Elizabeth? So I think that Charles will be a different type of monarch. I think we've seen in the year or so since Prince Philip died um, that he has been active in sort of slimming down the monarchy, and I think that that will f- that will continue. I'm unsure, I guess, about how he will behave in terms of things that are very, very dear to him, like the environment, like climate change, and whether he will continue to take a sort of active positional role or whether he will be content with being the symbolic head of state. So it's going to be a very interesting time. The other big challenge, of course, is um, with Commonwealth countries and changes in relationships 
with the monarch as head of state. Um, and I think that that may need a new form of sort of um, relationship between the monarchy and uh, Commonwealth countries. What's your view on the fact that a male monarch is exceeding a female monarch? And do you think this was of importance to the way the nation and the world perceived our royalty? So I think having a female monarch and certainly one that was so active um, and so sort of pioneering, for example, joining the um, armed services um, when she was a young girl during the war, you know, she was a sort of role model. The accession of a monarch is always one of anxiety. So there's always worries about changes of style. And certainly having young female monarchs like Elizabeth, like Victoria, there seemed to be more anxiety. So it would be interesting to see we have an older male monarch. It's a different sort of worry. You know, the, the concern is, is Charles too set in his ways? Has he um, had the latitude to, some would say, interfere or at least have a, have opinions on things that uh, monarchs shouldn't really do because there's this very fine line with their constitutional position which is incredibly important, and their um, sort of opinions and and political views, which they can't be seen to have, they cannot be seen to be on one side or another. So I think those will be the sorts of anxieties, less about his gender and more about his age and his experience and his past history. There's more on this story in the Evening Standard newspaper and online at standard.co.uk. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 